0: This is recording number 11088, from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 26, 2014. This is the fourth message in a series titled, The Dynamic Disciplines. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Evangelism. Investing the Treasure. Today we're going to continue the study that we're involved in called the dynamic disciplines. And uh, since the beginning of the year, we've been talking about some things that I think are um, bedrock to what it means to have a life in Christ that's substantive, that is fruitful, that is the way God intended it to be. Now, there's no place in the Bible you could turn to, and there's some list of, you know, these spiritual disciplines. And there's probably more than just these five, but these five, to me, are what I see over and over again as I make my way through the Bible, and you read the stories of the men and women that populate this wonderful book that God has given to us, of His Word, that you see quickly the... The, these disciplines being lived out in their lives over and over. And every person uh, who you would consider to be a, a follower of Christ that you would like to emulate or be like, someone who's making a difference in this world in the name of Jesus, you can't get below the surface of their story without encountering these disciplines. They're always there. And so, look, I figure, why do this halfway? If I'm going to be a Christian, <laughs> why do that halfway? God, sign me up for the whole nine yards. Anybody use that metaphor anymore? I mean, it's from football, right? So anyway, sign, Give me the whole package. And uh, so these things are part of that package, of what it means to be a Christ follower. Bible reading, prayer, fellowship. We've talked about those three over the last few weeks. Today we come to the fourth evangelism, and the next week we'll talk about giving. These things in my mind comprise the dynamic or living or life-giving or lively disciplines. And anything, you know, as much as I don't like that word discipline, anything of value in our lives that we want to see incorporated in how we live is going to require some form of discipline. It took a certain amount of discipline for you to get out of bed this morning. It took, it took a certain amount of uh, Discipline to get all your kids together and hear this morning. Discipline. Dynamic discipline. Now, when I talk about evangelism, sometimes people who have hung around the church for any length of time hear that word, and it doesn't sound inviting because it sounds like somebody I'm not. We tend to think of people who are evangelists as some sort of set-apart group of people. And in some ways, that's true. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about a set of gifts, spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Son, I call them. And in there, it talks about evangelism. I have a, look, I have a friend who is one of those guys. He's one of the guys u- uniquely gifted in evangelism, which simply means spreading the good word, spreading the good news. Telling about Jesus and what he's come to do. So anyway, but my my friend, he just is he's not weird. He's not one of these guys with a bullhorn sandwich sign that says turn or burn. You know, he's not one of those guys, but he's just completely natural about being bold with the gospel. One time I was down at the at Pier 39 with him, we were just walking around, and he's singing. Jesus is, he sings better than me. Jesus is the answer for the world today. And I'm like trying to find a place to hide. (laughs) But it was amazing. People would listen. And because he wasn't, like I said, he wasn't pointing fingers. He was was just, he was loving Jesus in public. That works for him. Okay, I I, I, but most of us when we hear the word evangelist, we we think of that kind of thing or we think of somebody like the, you know, the the, like the Billy Graham's of this world who hold these stadium of events and, you know, multitudes of people uh, come and, and encounter Christ. And we don't think of ourselves in the same category. So we're happy to send money to those people who do evangelism. We're happy to think that it's great that they do that. But listen, you and I have been called to be evangelists. And here's the great thing. It doesn't require any effort. If Jesus has... If you have encountered the Savior... If the gospel has gripped your life, if you today have been born again, you can't help but come seeping out of your pores this good news. You can't stop it. And Jesus knows that. And we're going to get to a little bit later about a strategy about how to think about this whole thing of letting the gospel just seep out of your pores. But I wanted to set the stage with just inviting you to go into this with me, not thinking about something you're not, but thinking about something you can't help but be. You with me? All right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5, 6, and 7. This is set in a context where... Paul the Apostle is talking about his ministry of preaching the gospel. And he's including in his language the people who are with him, that travel with him and are helping him in this ministry. And he talks about a little bit about how, what it costs them to uh, declare the gospel. But listen to what he has to say. Verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves. Your bondservants for Jesus' sake. In other words, we're nothing. We're nobody. But the gospel, Jesus Christ, is everything. And we've come to preach him, to announce him, to declare him. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Anybody happy about that this morning? The light of God's grace has pierced my darkness. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure. Dear ones, you and I have a treasure. We have this treasure it says in earthen vessels. I should probably get a lot of amens on that, because most of us think of ourselves as clay pots. <laughs> or a friend of mine who says, I'm just a plain old ordinary peanut butter jar. I can I can relate to that. But whatever you however you want to describe the roughness of or the you know the commonness of the package. You contain this glorious gospel, this treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, he says, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You know, when you have a treasure, it's hard to keep it a secret. It's really hard. Have you noticed? I can't even stop from telling people about a good movie I've seen. When I'm carrying around the treasure of a good music, uh, a good uh, musical group that I've encountered, I tell people. Uh, earlier I was talking to Elise Haney about um, the she's going to be in a play, and I've, uh, years ago, our family saw that play in a different place, and I was, I was saying, "Boy, we'd love to see you in this play because we saw it once before. It's such a great play." Even though she knows this, I couldn't already. I couldn't help myself but tell her what she already knows. This is a great play. You can't when you're carrying around a treasure. You, it's hard to hide it, and that's why I'm saying that this whole business of being, of understanding, it's it's so backward. It's so uh, unnatural to try to keep a lid on the gospel of Jesus in my life. It's so frustrating <laughs> so diminishing. when I just decide to be who God has made me to be, and let that light just start to shine out of me, man, it just feels right. it feels right. Jesus said, "Don't if you're a light, don't put a, a, a basket over it. let your light so shine before men. So we have this treasure. We also have a commission. In uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says this, And he said to them, Jesus said to them as he was parting, as he was leaving this world, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's so simple. He gave us one job. Give gave us one assignment. Go into all the world and preach or proclaim, declare this gospel. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Those of us who believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is as available to us today as it was to those early believers, that the day of Pentecost was not some sort of anomaly, but that God wants to... uh, Um, fill us with the power of his spirit. Listen, the reason that that is so, the reason Jesus said, hey, I've got to go so the Holy Spirit can come upon you. The reason for that is not so that we can get so stinking spiritual. The Holy Spirit was poured out on us for one thing, that we could be witnesses to him. You know, look. I know churches do lots of stuff we do lots of stuff we worship we pray we study we do all kinds of to send missionaries but there's really one thing we've been called to do not long ago actually it was last week a week ago i was talking to one of the pastors that i helped supervise and i was trying to i was asking them some questions to try to get in and around behind because i don't i don't i never get to go to their church i I only really know their congregation through him. And so I was asking some probing questions to kind of get a feel for what this congregation was like. And he was telling me, well, we're a, we're a teaching church. Hallelujah. A church ought to teach the word of God and ought to do a good job of it. Right? Wouldn't you say? Yes. We're a teaching church. Hallelujah. That's great. And so I'm asking him some more questions so got to kind of get a feel of, well, is anybody coming to Christ as a result of all this teaching you're doing? And the answer surprised me. He said, you know, well, there's other people that do that. There are other churches in our town that do that. That evangelism thing, we're a teaching church. Jesus gave us one job. One job. Let your light shine. When we teach, it's about releasing people to shine brighter. When we worship the Lord, and heaven knows we've got plenty of opportunity to do a lot of worship these days, which I'm, I'm all over and grateful for. We have these great worship concerts, and, and we do some of that around here. Thank God. But we worship not just for the experience of that moment. We worship so that we get more in line with what God's heart is for this world. Whatever it is that we're doing, we have one job. We'll have eternity to get spiritual. (laughs) Right now, God is interested in populating heaven. So let's not get our priorities out of alignment here. We have a treasure, we have a commission, and then in this church, we have a strategy, and that's what I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes. I'm not going to say that it's, it's somehow, you know, that other churches or other congregations of people around this world wouldn't have the same strategy. I don't know, and I don't care. I just know we have a strategy that God has given us. I've talked about it before out of Acts chapter 10, so I'm not going to lay the foundation, the Bible foundation, for why this is so. You're going to just have to trust me or listen to previous messages. What I want to do today is just remind us, because it... I want to come back to this, and we do, periodically. You've heard this, some of you, before, more than once. It's been 16 months since the last time I talked to you about this stuff. But we just need to be reminded frequently that all the other stuff that we're doing, all the other priorities of our life and stuff, really, this is one thing God has given me to do. Shine for Him. Let His gospel seep out of my pores in every circumstance that I'm in. So we have a strategy, and let's talk about it. It all has to do with circles of influence. Believe it or not, like it or not, you have a circle of influence. People, people that are in orbit around your life that God has placed there. It's not a mistake. God has placed these people in orbit around your life for the sake of you influencing them for him. Now, I know that can sound a little intimidating, but it shouldn't. It's just natural. And those people in that circle of influence are comprised by your family. Here's mine. You have one. Like it or not, you have one. These people are in the circle of your influence. Friends and neighbors. It's amazing how... In this day in which we live, at least in our culture and in our country, there's so much movement that, you know, look, I live next door to a group of people that I don't even know their names. And why? Because they're students at Toro University and they come and they go and they won't be here next year, so I don't even bother investing. This is terrible. Listen to me, what I'm saying. I don't even bother with trying to get their names. But that mentality has just so polluted the way we think of things Sometimes I just need to be brought up short by the Lord and say, wait a minute, this is not a mistake. Those guys that are there for this year, they're there on purpose. They're in the orbit of your life, the the, um, sphere of your influence, circle of your influence. Your work and school associates, the people you see every day, and your frequent contacts. I stopped in at my local Starbucks this morning <laughs> on my way here as I do every day and Connie and Tiffany were working this morning. They are in the circle of my influence. We all have one. Having come to that understanding, there are four words I'd like for you to zero in on with me this morning. Identify, intercede, intercede, Include and invite. and Conveniently, they all begin with the letter I. Say that with me. Identify, intercede, include, and invite. This is our strategy for being a light that shines in this world. Identify those he has assigned you. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 13, he said, The sphere or the circle which God appointed us, A circle or sphere, which especially includes you. He was talking to the Corinthians, and he was saying, Look, I know you guys are in my sphere. He was describing this thing. Now, each of us has a circle of influence, and just taking a moment to think that through and think, Okay, who is it that's in my circle of influence? I remember you've heard me tell this story before, but I'm going to tell it again the day that this the lord rocked my world with this understanding i was standing in line at the gas station to pay for a muffin and a diet coke don't ask me why but i'm a creature of habit and i did that every other day okay muffin diet coke and to pay for my gas so i was waiting in line <laughs> and it was like the lord sent a brick from heaven to my head <laughs> And I, in a moment, I realized that the guy behind the cash register that I never even considered as human. I mean, he's just a, he's just a hand that takes your money, right? <laughs> it was like the Lord said, I died for that man. My blood was spilled for that man. I want him with me in eternity. Whoa, that'll change how you see people. It did me anyway. And I realized it was not a mistake. It was not some sort of just ancillary thing that I saw that guy every other day. And it, it began to, a, a radical transformation of my life and how I, I view my role in this world in Jesus' name. Just, so just identifying the people in the circle. You'd be surprised when you do this how many there are you haven't even noticed. Intercede. Inter, to intercede means to pray. Intercede for them regularly. Pray for them regularly, which is what I began to do for that guy behind the cash register. That day when I got up to the front, instead of giving him my money, as I always did, I, I put my money in the other hand, reached out my right hand, and, I, and he wasn't sure what I was doing. I was actually going to just shake his hand. He was going for his gun, but I just i reached my hand. <laughs> And I said, hey, my name is Randy. What's yours? Such a simple thing. I'd never even thought to do that in all the other times that I've been in that store. That day, I got his name. And then every single day after that until he moved away, I prayed for him. Pray for him. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Now, how hard is that? Ask God to help them. Pray on their behalf or intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Why? Because he wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. It's amazing what happens when you start to pray for somebody. You can't help it, but you begin to be invested in their life. When I walked into Starbucks this morning and I noticed that Connie was at the register and Tiffany was at the bar... Hi, Alex. Alex works at another Starbucks. But... <laughs> Here's what went through my mind. I wonder what they're doing today after they get off work. The, the thoughts just come because you're, now you see them as three-dimensional people, people that God loves because I pray for them. Every time I come in the store, when I see the partners, I pray for them. And the, so now I can't help it. I go in there and it's like, oh, I care about you. And, the, and I pray, I, I here's what I pray. I pray, God, reach into the circumstances of their lives today. Cause them to recognize that you were present. Cause them to remember something they've heard before about your love for them. Cause them to see something in my interaction with them today that would remind them of your love for them. Simple stuff. Paul says, thank God for them. Ask God to help them. Why? Because he knows this is leading somewhere. And where it's leading to is include them in your life. Uh, <laughs> I love this. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 3. We're going to read that in just a minute, but I've got to set this up. Okay? Right before this passage we're going to read, right before this happens, Paul had the opportunity to preach at Mars Hill uh, in Athens, Greece. This was a place where, you know, it was a, um, you know, a stadium kind of a place. So it's full of people. They come there every day to listen to great orators and stuff. And Paul has this opportunity. He's been invited to come and to tell them about Jesus. So he's preaching to this throng, a masterful sermon. I love to read it in Acts chapter 17. I've preached out of it more times than I even want to think about right now. I love that passage. But he gets to the end of that passage, and he says... He has been telling them now about the resurrection. And when he got to that point, everybody goes, oh, wait, resurrection? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Next. Right. And he says, and there were two or three people that believed. Now, hallelujah. Thank God. Those are people that are going to heaven. And I don't know. They, They drop off the pages of scripture. I don't know what their lives were like after that. But I know this. I know people who are engaged in, you know, stadium events and evangelism, that mass evangelism kind of approach to things. They'll always tell you, including the Billy Graham organization who does it best, better than anybody and has for decades. They will say, our biggest challenge is, is uh, seeing people who come forward at a crusade to receive Christ as their Savior actually follow through and live a life of faith beyond that. The percentages are very small. So Paul just had this experience. Now he goes to Corinth, and he encounters these people, Aquila and Priscilla, who have uh, a couple who have been um, who have been who have run from Rome. For their lives because Caesar has kicked all the Jews. They're not Christians. They're Jews. But Caesar has kicked all the Jews out of Rome. And they've made their way to the city of Corinth. And here it says, Paul departed from Athens. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. So these both of them, Paul... And Priscilla and Cooler are just trying to figure out how to survive in a new city. They've just moved. They had to, uh, who knows what they were able to bring with them as they ran from their lives or for their lives from Rome. And they're just trying to survive as, so they huddle up and say, hey, we know how to make tents. Let's try to make a living. Let's join forces together. And the only thing they really have in common is their job. Do you work with people? On your job, is there anybody else there? Okay, picture yourself in that situation. It's just the only thing that has brought them together is their job. Somehow or another, hanging out with Paul for a while, Priscilla and Aquila come to faith in Christ. He, sometime later, they travel with him to the city of Ephesus and help establish the church there. He leaves them behind in Ephesus as he moves on. And they minister in that city, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, in a... A fruitful way for, for a long period. In fact, this guy who was one of the top names on the, you know, the itinerant preacher circuit, a guy named Apollos, he shows up, and they help teach him. Priscilla and Aquila help straighten out his theology. And then we find them showing up back in Rome, the very place they had to run from for their lives because of persecution. They're back in Rome. What are they doing? They, they planted a church in their house. I would submit to you, and then even at the end of Romans, Paul, when he's signing off his letter in, in chapter 16, he says, I want to thank Priscilla and Aquila because they risked their lives for me. We don't know what the circumstances were, but these people, Paul owes, him, owes them his, his very life. And then he says, and because of that, all the churches of the Gentiles thanked them. I would submit to you that the fruit of Paul's evangelistic efforts on the job may have been much more fruitful than in the stadium. There are people in their circle of your influence God wants to reach, and hanging out with them in whatever context, on the job, take them out to lunch, go over to their house, hanging out with them in any context allows the Lord to work. The more of you they see, the more of Him they'll see. You can't stop it. Finally, invite, invite them to begin a relationship with Jesus. Now, this is the part that a lot of us kind of fall down on. We don't really know how to close the deal. I'm one of them. My wife is the evangelist in our group, okay, in our in our team. <clears throat> but I figured out that if I can't, you know, if I don't really, if I feel awkward and I don't know how to get them to the point where they just, they cross that boundary from faith and or from doubt into faith. I can at least invite them to go somewhere where somebody better at it than I am can do the job. Either way, at some point, these people who God has placed in the circle of your life influence, God wants wants to escort them over the finish line into a relationship with Him that will change not only their present life, but their eternity. Last night, as I was thinking about these things, just nodding off to sleep, I don't know why, but Maybe because I had just checked uh, Facebook before I went to sleep. It's probably not the best thing to do bef- before going to sleep, but anyway. Anybody else do that just so I don't feel so bad? <laughs> okay. Right. Anyway, I'm nodding off to sleep, and, and you know what came before my mind? I, I pictured the, the Facebook profile pictures of a bunch of the, my Facebook friends that are believers today didn't used to be but they're believers today because the Lord brought them into the circle of my influence without trying without working at it without becoming some strange person they encountered Christ in my life and now they serve him as well I was thinking specifically of one guy named Richard Richard Belzer he uh, I met him in middle school and uh, we kind of grew up together. and all th- he, he was a Jew and a very brainiac kind of guy, very intellectual. And so all through middle school and high school, this guy gave me nothing but grief about my Christian faith. Just tore me up one side and down the other all the time about what a loser, what an idiot I was to believe this nonsense in the Bible. But I just kept I just kept letting my light shine. I didn't fight him. I didn't argue with him. He's the one that was the, you know, I don't know if whatever reason he felt like he had to be aggressive with me. I wasn't. I just, it hurt, you know, but I, I didn't fight back. I just let my light shine. And he kept giving me all this grief until one day I came home from church, found him on my doorstep. He said, Randy, you'll never believe what happened to me. And he's an old geezer like my, like me, uh, but all of those years since, uh, he's lived knowing the Messiah and uh, raised his family to know Jesus as well. All of these pictures just kept coming to my mind. I kept thinking, God, thank you. Thank you that you could, you could use me. There's nothing, nothing as thrilling a seeing God use you to escort one of his loved ones home. And um, that's what this is about. Acts 16, verses 13 through 15. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city. Paul is speaking again. I'm sc- excuse me. Luke is speaking, but he's going to describe what's happening about Paul. He says, And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside and spoke to the women who met there. They just hung out with them. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. By the way, I guess this could sound a little re- weird. The reason they went out to hanging out with these women by the river was because that's where uh, the Jews met to have... Uh, they, didn't, they couldn't have um, uh, synagogues and so forth, so they, they would hang out by the river. Anyway, they went out there, and this woman, Lydia, heard us, and the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and she and her household were baptized. Man, that happens over and over and over because God loves people.